You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, Joel St. Germain of Spice and Humectant Interruption. Hey, Joel. Hey, guys. Nice to see you. It's been a long time. Hey. Mm. Yeah, I know. Good to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah. Awesome. Yes, we are obviously super excited to talk to you as we've discussed some spite releases and, of course, discussed spite just in general. And so it's Amazing, time, yeah. Time, time to get... Time to get the man on the horn. Exactly. Ooh. Well, let's find out how much I can share. Like, I'm willing to share anything, but what is there to share? That's the question. But uh, <laughs> ask me. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess I guess we just start at the beginning. Oh, you were very young when you started Spite, right? You were. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like 15, 16. Wow. Right. And, right. and you... What, I mean, who who were the first people you were in contact with? So I got into this stuff because I started going to record stores in Boston as a kid. And I, there was this store in your ear and they uh, just had like cool, weird stuff. The first couple times I went in there and heard noise, it made me so uncomfortable that I really was like, like wanted to leave after a few minutes, you know? Oh, wow. I was a kid looking for like K record stuff and like just didn't understand right. that the music even like could be possible right but uh, it definitely caught my ear and made me curious so i became friendly with these people um over time and uh just became sort of fascinated by it i think even at first i was maybe a little skeptical this is all like pr prior to me like smoking weed or or anything like that like i had maybe seen some like cult movies but i didn't really know what was going on in the in the underground especially not like this extreme stuff. I really kind of dug the freedom of expression that it came with and the abstract expressing so much and so little at the same time in kind of a, um, just an abstract way that was interpretive was very much like interesting to me. And um, it was the challenge behind it too. And you know, the, the angle, the obscure nature of this stuff that's kind of inherent in, in this kind of music, especially back then, man. When I started Spite and was doing these tapes in addition of 50, it wasn't to the, the, the point wasn't to be like super exclusive. It was just like, this seemed like the right amount that I could actually maybe sell. Um, you know, honestly, other labels were doing maybe 50 or 100 and I just chose 50 because it just seemed like a, a decent number. And, you know, I didn't have any money to produce this stuff. So even just like coming up with a hundred dollars to release like a handful of tapes was um, substantial for me back then. What was the first by tape? There were four at once. There was the Ramirez, the Stimbox, Molest. Service and Whelping? Nah, that was like the second, one of the second ones. Just, I, they all like kind of look the same with the yeah. black and white. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like there were a couple of those. But uh, so like, yeah, Maria's, Ramirez, Molest, Stimbox. Stimbox. Which one? No, I was saying Stimbox. And then... Oh, Stimbox. Yeah, Stimbox was definitely like an accessible dude on the internet back then. I don't know where he is these days. Was Zome in that batch? Zome came close. I, I mean, honestly, it's probably just Spite 1 to 4. You know, maybe it is the Humectin. Yeah, because that is 2. Yeah, so there you go. 
There you go. Yeah, right, perfect. right on. And now you were in the, you were in New England at this time when you started yeah. Spite, or were you in Kalamazoo? Still living in my parents' house. Okay, so you were that you were in New Hampshire. Now, were you in touch? Had you gotten in touch with Pat or Ron at this point? Yeah, Ron for sure. Ron um, right away. Ron, none of this would have happened without being so close to Ron, and without his uh, support, and just kind of like getting a getting a glimpse into all this stuff, you know, via him and his like massive mail order business and his record store. I did get to hang out with Pat, uh, went up to his house or his apartment a couple times. And um, he was super nice and cool and supportive. But uh, that was more after the label was established for at least a year. Right. And I, he did say that you used his same printer for the Incapacitance Autoerotocrise 7 inch. Is this correct? Oh, because you because he said that you, he said because we love those seven inches like mm-hmm. that and like the murder series that are not screen printed. They're the one paper. color yeah. printed yeah. at a copy shop uh-huh. on the color paper. So, you know, no one really does that anymore. Yeah. But Pat had mentioned that you, you don't asked him where he did I that. And went about to his, that but that, yeah, that yeah. rings a bell. Yeah. But I always, those are some of my, fa- that's one of my favorite looking seven inches yeah. is that incapacity. Wow. And it's just, just looking at that. Oh, go, go it's ahead. So, well, that's just so cool. And it's just so that, that thing where I remember we used to be able to do that, where you, you could get individual ink at a, a, a Kinko's mm-hmm. or, or whatever copy shop yeah. on a different color paper. And it looks so odd. Right. There's, there's no recreating it now. You need the color toner and you need the old copier to make anything look like that. Like color printing on color paper doesn't have that feel. The layering and the use of like black and green or red and blue, whatever on it just makes it look special. It gave it that, you know, a risograph screen printed look almost on this stuff that it's hard exactly. to hard to replicate now. It's so funny because it really does give it a stamp of that time. And at the time, I remember thinking like, this looks kind of cheap and shitty. And I, and not in a way that I was really like happy with. It was, it right. was a compromise at the time, but yeah, it's aged well. What can I say? Like, thanks. I'm glad, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, I just uh, wanted to put out records and wanted to like uh, be in this and wanted to do it. So I was doing it. Well, with the first humectant release coming along with the first batch. So you, you must've started making noise right around starting the label. Like they happen simultaneously it's true man yeah yes for sure i you know when i was a kid i did a zine like i was very crafty uh very bored and um i just it was one of the fascinating things about this music for me as a kid was trying to really understand what was going on and what i was hearing and um you know i I didn't have a clue i really didn't um I, got still, I still feel the same way yeah. a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got a four track and that was like, that was kind of what the, what humectant was, was just me with this four track, at least like the first chat, the first half, the second half was a little, a little different post four track is more like cut and paste stuff. And half of that stuff hasn't, or most of that stuff hasn't been released, but um, the early stuff was really just me fucking around improvising onto cassette and then editing that, you know, like, um, like just playing shit onto a tape and then trying to kind of like just really, really over and over tweaking knobs and playing things back and slowing things down. And, um, 
I honestly haven't listened to Service and Welping in years. I, I don't know how it stands up. Um, I do think that like one of the pluses that maybe work in its favor is that I really was just a baby and didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So there's like, you know, could be some good stuff in there. Yeah. I've been trying to dig up my copy of it, but it's amidst, you know, tons of tapes somewhere. So I've been on the hunt <laughs> to yeah. pull it out again ever since we started talking about doing this and, and getting back in touch. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, I'm curious to hear it again. Thanks. The, the, the spite logo is very iconic yes. and, the, but it's and it's from the beginning, right? I mean, it's on those first yeah. tapes, right? Yeah. So I yeah. mean, it is from the beginning. It continues. It's one of the greatest logos. Wow. Any any insight on any any? Could you give us any insight onto who the woman with the gun is? What that We've logo is? Many or times. No, it's fine. Um, so my friend Michael Zuniga, this guy from Louisiana, was heavy into mail art at the time, and he sent me a package that had that picture. And uh it, it's Nancy Kwan, allegedly, because I've actually looked for the original image and I've never found it. But uh I like cut in, I tailored in into a logo for the label. But uh, original Michael Zuniga art, Nancy Kwan, to answer your question. Nice. There you go. We're getting answers for the people today. Yeah. Hesitant. <laughs> a little hesitant to answer these, to demystify this shit, but all right. And before we continue our conversation with Joel, a word from our sponsor. Foul Prey is a UK-based label specializing in international noise. After a short hiatus, we're back in harsher than ever with new original releases from Vice Wears Black Hose, Industrial Hazard, Ted Burns, The Rita, and Crawl of Time coming this spring and summer. Visit our new website at foulprey.com and sign up for the free newsletter to receive 10% off your next order. From there, you'll be the first to hear about upcoming releases, exclusive offers, advanced access to pre-orders, and subscriber-only content. That's foulprey, F-O-U-L-P-R-E-Y.com. Whether you get off on sonic extremes, skilled think pieces, or psychologically damaging soundtracks for personal ritual, Misanthropic Agenda has got you covered. Misanthropic Agenda is a noise, sound art, and electronic music label founded by Garrett Whitmer in 1998, releasing CDs and vinyl by the likes of Merzbau, John Weiss, Joe Colley, Dave Phillips, Francisco Marino, Death Throws, Lasse Marhog, Jason Krumer, LHD, and many more. Use code NOISEXTRA at misanthropicagenda.com to receive free shipping on any size order in the United States. Oh, and they've also got a band camp. Tronics, fine purveyors of heavy sound since 1997, featuring new and classic releases from Alza Galzaga, Airway, Astro Romero, Black Sand Desert, The Cherry Point, Government Alpha, The Haters, Hijo Kaiden, Neural, LHD, Lasse Marhug, Paranoid Time, Richard Ramirez, Scald Him, Sewer Election, Sissy Spacek, Spastic Colon, Trance, Unsustainable Social Condition, John Weiss, and many more. Visit iHeartNoise.com for details. What about your other designs and, and your process for doing covers back then? Because it's not like you could just fire up Photoshop, grab an image off Google image search and throw together a cover. Yeah. Uh, painstaking Xerox whiteout scissors, glue sticks. That was it really. Um, printing out text when I could in whatever kind of uh, way that I could. But um, you know, the spite releases, I think you can tell the ones that I did versus the ones that people gave me and were just like here, you know, for example, Birchville cap motel, there was nothing about that, that 
I, I did other than dub the tapes. But yeah, you know, the ones that I did, I did all by hand. And the ones that I didn't do, I just uh, duplicated as cheaply as possible. Well, you were dubbing tapes at home yourself. If I remember, you know, I, when I met you, you were you were still dubbing tapes one at a time on a tape deck. Yeah. yeah. Was that the process exactly. for most of the spy releases? All of them. Yeah. I a couple years ago, I bought a um, a duplicating deck from a church uh, yard sale when I well, lived that's, in. That's the classic way. That's to get the way. It. Yeah. Yeah. I've I, I've got the thing. It's as far as I know, never been used. I hear that some of them are mono, which kind of sucks. I mean, maybe it sucks. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll do something cool mono one of these days. But um, yeah, I have one of those now. <laughs> Was there a conscious effort go, talking about the design? I, th- I think Chris Yanko brought this up when we talked to him a few weeks ago, how Spite was not a uniform label. It was also not just, it was not a special packaging label. There was special packaging mm-hmm. items. And then there's items that were more, you know, s- done simply. What was your thought behind that? Was it just what each release called for? I just made it up as I went along pretty much. Um, in the beginning, it was kind of uh, just to see what I what I could actually get out and, and kind of what was acceptable, you know, just a simple Xerox. And then as it went along, um, there were other ideas. You know, MSBR was like famous for the special packaging and I wanted to just um, try that. You know what I mean? Um the first MSBR tape that's just in the simple piece of paper. I actually like when I made those and I, and I looked at like a box of them all reproduced, it looked pretty cool, especially like seeing a bunch of them together. 20 years later, it's, it's just a folded over piece of paper. Actually 20 years later, it's cool again, but there was a period of time where I was like, you could have done this better, Joel, but um, I don't know. It, it was really a case by case. Like I didn't, there were no conscious decisions about it needing to have a kind of unified aesthetic. Any aesthetic I promise you is, is simply the times and meets like an accident and just like, you know, filtered through kind of me and my uh, standards. Were there any particular favorites you have from the releases you've done or the designs? I mean, the, the dead body love tape is a classic musically. I think it's awesome. And do the title Volcano God. Uh, yeah. So awesome. Yeah. That's a print job that could have been a smidge better, but whatever, you know. <laughs> um, the moat tape's good. The grunt's a classic. I mean, most of this stuff I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with. I don't know if I have a particular favorite, but I will say that overall I'm happy with, um, you know, running a record label as, as uh, someone who's not old enough to drive or vote or drink. And like what, what came through? Do you know how to drive now? <laughs> Great question. Uh, barely. <laughs> I barely know how to drive. Uh, thanks for trying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did eventually get a license. I just never used it. And then okay. I moved to New York City. So like I, I have a license that I have no business having. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gray, uh, Gray gave me my first driving lessons. That is. No. 
It was long, nice of you. That was long fun. Time ago. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, well, you I gave me my it. first running a noise label lessons. Like I had no idea what to do and, and hadn't started chondritic at that point. And so helping you assemble spite tapes and seeing how you worked on stuff was like a real eye opener to me. Chondritic wouldn't be here without you. So, uh, oh, yeah. thanks. Man. The least right on. Thank you, can you do is try to teach someone to drive. I guess I yeah. don't think I'm a good driving teacher. I've tried to teach a couple other people and it hasn't worked out. So <laughs> oh, you're, partly you're, my fault there. You're totally fine. Detroit parking lots were partially to blame. It's <laughs> true. Very true. Oh yeah. You got to beware the potholes there. Yeah, man. Well, okay. So enlisting gray to help you assemble things. Were there any special packaging that you really hated assembling? That was frustrating. Well, you know, I mean, the skin crime one is like, was a pain in the ass, but it wasn't <laughs> that bad. Um, Ron wasn't super thrilled to take copies of the MS second MSBR tape. So I, okay. well, okay. So who's, yeah. so that's, we've people, people, the people want to know whose idea yes. was that? Was it Koji's or was it yours? That was pure me. I, I live in Kalamazoo and there was a store called quality farm and fleet that just sold like farming goods and animal supplies. And I was like looking for, something god knows what but you know i was just in there and i saw like a barrel of pig snouts and i just thought uh hey noise noise music let's let's get on these <laughs> you know the funny one is the like the zone pancakes thing that was a real like i don't want to say misfire but that was like uh that was weird i i still don't know what i was thinking with that <laughs> we, I, that's one I don't. We don't have that. I don't. No. Great, you don't either, right? I do not have that. But, no. but Sienko was, I was talking say, about Sienko that. Sienko has to be the only one we know with, right? But he said it's basically dust at this point. I think, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. yeah. But you know, but it was pancakes that your mom was making. Or were you making them? I think he said it was but, your mom. My yeah. mom made them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they were just little pancakes that I shellacked and and like put a sticker on. And you know, I don't know. But it's what a great time though, where this was like, you know what? Let's just try and to package like, it in pancakes. And she was like, "Sure, I'll make, I'll make you fifty pancakes." Yeah, I'm like, "Mom, I'm hungry. Let's go." <laughs> I, I really, I like it's, it's a family business mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I can't remember if you told me this story or if I've heard this story. This is a kind of a anecdotal story, but. I think I heard that you received a package in the mail one time that your mom did open and that package oh, yeah. happened to be yeah. smelling Quim Jesus Christ. Is this yeah. a true story? It is a true story. Yeah. <laughs> that is not something a mom wants yeah. to open. <laughs> oh, <God>. It's 100% <laughs> true. Yeah. You know, my mom was super um, chill with most of this stuff. I think because she just saw that I was finally involved in something and like, mm -hmm. I, I just was, I couldn't help but rebel every step of the way of my childhood. And this was the, this was something that I was just immersed in and was into. Um, there was the Crank Sturgeon Humectant album. She heard the recording of, which has a lot of recordings of her and my dad fighting. And she was f fucking pissed about that. Like, she really was upset about it. She even like, I remember her telling me that she talked to her sister about it. And like, like it was something that really haunted her. 
but uh i didn't give a shit i was a little asshole <laughs> i was like i'm gonna express myself mom um, <laughs> oh man that's a good one i think uh thanks that, you know that's frank sturgeon that that's mm-hmm. the that one we do have i don't man i couldn't tell you the last time i listened to because i don't remember that being in it it's the one with like the it's the broom right the or yeah. it's like the drawing yeah. of the yeah. yeah yeah you can you can see it right mm-hmm. I mean we have it right there God I'll have picture to picture it clearly I, I can, in the mind I eye. don't recall do you know that one Gray no I don't I'm I'm sitting here thinking like I don't think I've ever seen that one oh yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. the the spite stuff when I'd hang out with Joel you know twenty years ago um but still not everything was there another tape that was packaged with the pig snout though was that the Blitz Action Trauma by Taint or am I thinking of something else well. You, that yeah, was a, yeah, that's pig ears. A pig ear. Okay. Pig I remember, ear. I remember some more pig packaging that, yeah. that Joel had actually showed me. I'd never seen that outside of, of you. Is wait, wasn't it a hoof or was a, it? A, no, that that's the mac. The, the hoof <laughs> is the macro. There are many pig hoof, parts that are commercially right. available. The <laughs> macro on Stinky yeah. Horse Fucker in um, uh, radio insemination bath radio right. for the people. Right. And then right. and then the taint has the ear. Yeah, I'm gonna put so them all actually, to rest. I'm gonna package a tape inside an entire pig. Well, I was gonna say <laughs> what we can do is we if we can get all these together, we're starting to put together an, a full pig. We have the snout. Yeah, well, we, you know, you actually like, can it would be get, great. Yeah. You can get fetal pigs pretty now, easily. I'm just saying they go. would fit a cassette uh, quite Bring well. Bring it into 2021. Right? Now, <laughs> I would have to imagine that something like Stinky Horsefuck would have been uh, something that would have been an influence on Spite. It just there's a feeling. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, huge, yeah, huge. I love Smell and Quim. I think they're one of the best, and that was one of my favorite labels. I was gonna oh, say, yeah. like, if we were hanging out, I don't think that I really would have been showing you spite stuff. It, I would have been way more excited to show you everything else. You oh, know what I mean? No, absolutely. And mm-hmm. and you did show me a lot of stuff. I one distinct record I like. It sticks in my mind is when you played me charcoal by destroyed music as like, mm-hmm. I have a like a yeah. memory of that day. And we listened to a bunch of stuff that day, but that one is stuck in my head forever. And it's the reason I, yeah. you know, I have a copy now. It is a killer one. I forgot about that record, it but it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, but you had the stuff there and I would look through it too. Like we would be hanging out and you know, there, there's so many sort of different weird facets of noise you showed me from like, I, the first synth I ever laid my hands on was your MS 20, which you let me borrow. And I subsequently broke. If you remember, mm. oh, it's all coming back now. I broke a, a potentiometer by like being, being, uh, indelicate with it. And had oh, it, had it repaired. I can imagine how upset I was nowadays. It's like, <laughs> but it's a potentiometer, but yeah, at the time that was like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Got it repaired. Uh luckily, so it's you know <laughs> yeah. that, that's good. But still just like those things, I, I wasn't you know, I had a friend that had a four track, but I wasn't well versed in that stuff. And even talking about stuff, like you mentioned that your tape duper is possibly mono, and I remember I think you'd gotten a master when we were hanging out and it was mono and you're like, this guy doesn't know how to record in stereo. <laughs> like, mm. why do you send me this mono thing? I don't know what it was then, but yeah. I remember like a, a disappointment of having something that was, that was strictly mono <laughs> and like, who is this relatable guy? <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I, love I love mono. mono. I, love mono. <laughs> I was going to say like, that's almost cooler now. Like I, I think a, a noise artist, like exploring mono is kind of cool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, but kind of, you've said a few times and I, and I do find this to be true that especially with noise, 
with time, things start to become, you see things differently. Like, for example, I was, we were actually just talking about this the other day. I love now a noise tape from the early 90s that is that you that isn't covered up like it's a TDK and yeah, maybe there's a the little brand. bit of a thing yeah. now mm. back in the day I would have been like cover that up like yeah. you, all you got to do is cover it up and oh, now yeah, I'm man. like now I kind of love it because yeah. it it does it's like oh it's this early 90s TDK like I love yeah. that now I would still I still don't know if I could get to the point where I would put out a release like that but yeah. now it becomes this thing where it's kind of awesome. Well, it's like we thought we were fooling people by showing that it wasn't a professionally yeah. dubbed cassette. Like, they might not know. Or even just back, <laughs> yeah. or even just back then when, again, doing editions of fiction, that was tape, probably yeah. the tapes that a lot of you guys were using. You weren't ordering necessarily always from a tape supply place with solid tapes. I mean, I know you do that as well, but... So wait, how often was your mom driving you to the post office? Great question. My mom not only drove me places, like my mother waited in the car while I was in a copy copy shop designing all this stuff. <laughs> like, oh like, yeah, no exaggeration. That is a fact. Yeah. She would sometimes sit for hours while I was slaving over this stuff. It was really amazing. Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine what she thought of all the mail you were sending and getting. Totally, totally. I mean... She, I was, I was excited. I mean, it was exciting. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire. So to get like packages from all over the world all the time was, was a big deal and really, really, really fun. Do you still engage in mail correspondence? I mean, I'm a record dealer. So I, the mail is when I'm not in school, that's all I do is mail things. I don't get as much back these days i'm in school now i'm going to be a therapist in in four and a half years from now and um the 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 end result is that i want to get back to a place in my life where things are streamlined enough that i can be creative that i have like the physical space and the emotional space to do that and you know that is kind of like i've come full circle to the point where you know I mean, I stopped when all this stuff was at its peak because it was so daunting and intimidating even. And I just wasn't ready for this kind of attention. And um, I just I turned my back on all of it. Regrettably, you know, it maybe regrettably. It was a bit of a imposter syndrome phenomenon where this thing that I was involved in when it was just teeny, teeny, tiny all of a sudden had a lot more attention. There were more eyes on, on me and like my contemporaries of which you guys are, you know, but uh, I just couldn't take it. Like I, I just was, was, was done with it at that point. It had, it had changed into something else that I wasn't comfortable with. It's like, as much as I wanted the attention when I got it, I could handle it. So, um, you know, like perfectionism is like the, uh, the enemy of any kind of like creativity, you know what I mean? And I just couldn't really, I wasn't satisfied with anything that I was coming up with. The, you know, part of the freedom of cassettes is just that it's like the stakes are so low compared to vinyl. I mean, now we're in an age of like digital files. So literally who gives a fuck? But at the time, you know, records and CDs were the norm and tapes were just like a diminutive media you know like you could just fuck off on a tape and send it to people and it was cool so that felt like i was capable of that but when there was actually like 
and built-in audience and um something that i had to kind of rise to i just wasn't ready you know what i mean however i feel a lot differently nowadays and i do want to um record music and just like you know make paintings and stuff and just just get 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 more of that out of me not saying it's going to be anytime soon i mean i'm busy as fuck with school and and my life but um that is like i want to be an old man doing that so I'm 40 so, years old, 10 years from now. So yeah. has studying to be a therapist kind of um, changed your drive to pursue creative outlets? Well, it, it, the, it's just going to facilitate that. I mean, studying in general has changed like my mind, like, uh, you know, my brain, my psychology. But um, just just to put it out there, I mean, I'm studying like algebra and English and shit. Like I, I dropped out of high school. I haven't been in school for 20 years. So I'm like starting at the very bottom. So I'm not even like, I'm in a philosophy class, but I'm not even in like the, the social humanities stuff yet. That comes after the, uh, what do you call it? Like the necessary credits? The prereqs. Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent prereqs. Yeah. So I'm, I'm earning these prereq credits. Joel showed but, uh, me some you know, of his algebra homework and yeah. nah, you couldn't, couldn't talk me into doing that. I <laughs> oh, love it man. so much. Gray told us about your algebra homework and I was like, yes, yeah. awesome. Yeah. I love that. You're into that? Yeah. I like, I like um, algebra because it's finite. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. like writing a paper or something because again, if you're a perfectionist, then you have to keep working it and working it, but mm-hmm. there's actually a solution. And I find that very satisfying. I get it. And when I do get the solution, it is wonderful, but it also takes me days. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. You know, the patience is not necessarily there. I like the other stuff because it's more of a it's more of speaking with my voice and articulating, which is what I like to do. And, you know, your voice isn't present with the math stuff. Oh, yeah. There's no personality. Yeah. (laughs) But now. You did, you know, Spite is obviously known for tapes and you talked about kind of the, your philosophy about doing the tapes, but you did vinyl very early on. Yeah. And that was something that always struck me as, oh, wow, like you can do seven inches, like, and, and the way you operated, it seemed more, the way Spite operated seemed more something like I could relate to. It just seemed kind of, it had more of a way of operation that's something like I would pursue with Gods of Tundra. But but vinyl was always that thing. I mean, it took a few years for me to finally figure out how to do it, but it was always that elusive thing. But it seems mm-hmm. like, I mean, what? I mean, it seems pretty early, at least, what, 96, right, maybe? For, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, so what, I mean, how did that Man, step come about? I, from the very beginning, I, I wanted to do that. You know, I've loved records my whole life. Just think they're cool and fun. And, you know, to me, that is like you're creating art. Not to say you're not with cassettes, but records are just like a thing. You know, we all know what yeah. that thing is. I feel like I can't define it, but we all know what right. it is. I just wanted to do records from the beginning. And um, when, when the, the label seemed to be working and when things were sellable and when I was like making my money back, I, I feel like it legitimized the label more, which meant a lot to me at the time, you know, as an adult now, I don't give a fuck, but I was 16 years old. I just wanted yeah. validation from oh, wow. the world. Right. Um, I'm happy with those, those records. I mean, um, 
The Cocky SP Smelling Quim, it's a cool, it's a great record. Musically, it's really good. The artwork is <laughs> funny <laughs> and cute. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, now, again, that's one I think where, it, it, yeah, kind of as the years go by, there's, yeah, it's kind of a roller coaster. Like recently, we're we back love in love it, with it again. But yeah. yes, there has yeah. definitely been times you're like, oh man, that is, yeah. Uh, yeah. We actually <laughs> talked about that one. Uh, we do seven inches on our Patreon every Sunday, and that was one of the ones we did recently. We did it with Sienko. Oh, wow. With Chris Yanko, we talked about the, that one. <laughs> but sonically, it's it's just it's that great era smell and quim where they're you know doing beats like you know and yeah and then just like, and then yeah but then, but but i think i think the great thing though about the cover is the credits oh totally so who, I, who, actually, who i'm realizing now that well that cover was emil hagstrom the whole okay, production okay, okay. was yeah that I makes believe sense. it's kind of a a little bit of a nod to trevor brown which i didn't think of at the time oh okay that would make sense that and then yeah. it makes sense that he would do that gotcha. yeah 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 um yeah it's pretty good uh the uh the this the really like the weird kind of like less than stellar story with the, I mean, whatever. It's not like I'm ashamed of it, but the incapacitance autoerotic Christ, basically the autoerotic Christ dude put that out, like pressed the record and then got cold feet and didn't want to release it and just gave me half the batch if I produced the covers. So all of a sudden there was like this new, there was like a way to just put out a record for nothing. So that's why the, the, the record itself doesn't have, doesn't say anything about spite anywhere on it. Oh, fascinating! I think actually, I think we heard that from Mason, didn't we? Okay, because we talked to him after we talked to him after we because we did an episode mm-hmm. on that one too, and we I think he might have told us this. Yeah, because I think I yeah. asked him. I'm like, it was a split release. How was it a split release? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's barely a spite release. I mean, it is, you know, but it's not. I didn't like. I didn't produce it where I paired the artists together or anything. It's just I came out with the artwork. And another thing, uh, what's his name? Makawa. It's it's called Funds of Funds of Funds of Funds. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the back cover just says Funds of Funds of Funds. Oh, so, there should have been a, th- a fourth one. Yeah, he was bombed. It was it's it was very like not a Japanese of me. C situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you, you dropped that last C when you were sometimes saying Sometimes you it. forget uh, yeah, the last C. Sometimes you say CCC and you read oh. CCCC. Sometimes, sometimes you say funds of funds of funds, but you mean yeah. funds of funds of yeah. funds of funds of funds. And yeah. that is too bad because, I mean, it is – I never knew that. Still. It is one of the great incapacitance titles. I mean, I think the incapacitance banking titles are – probably the best noise titles i think they're i, I think them. it's i think it's completely genius yeah and mutual funds is not a magic dude, dude. <laughs> What's the, there's one i love that's like like loan gets oh it's the one of the it's on default standard and it's like it's one of the longest ones and i've always thought that on i think it's stupid is stupid where it's like please don't sleep while we explain i've always in my mind <laughs> thought that they were one of them was like doing a meeting and someone was like zoning yes. out yes and they're that, in a like, business meeting they were in a business <laughs> meeting totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the one that's stuck in my head is why don't you sell out all stocks yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i mean completely genius that is inter- i mean that's i think that's such a great one but then also we still love funds of funds of funds well yeah so. it's you yeah. know what uh, it's great, <laughs> but also the K two Prick to K. 
uh, in spite of flaming creatures. In, in spite of, yeah, the right. Hawaiian Eye Meltdown, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, Hawaii Eye Meltdown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so man, those spelled wrong. That was Dylan, not me. But right, <laughs> but I just there's something about those three seven inches that are just I don't know. They're they're just iconic '90s seven inches to me, or at least for they were just some of the first ones. Yeah, got. honestly, yeah. if I think noise seven inch, that yeah. incapacitance autoerotic Christ is like one of the first things that pops into my head. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah oh, cool. totally. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that just got just I just threw it together the artwork really you know um i it's it's very noise and like uh i hadn't seen the back cover in years and when i just saw it on facebook recently i was surprised at like um the amount of negative space <laughs> like to, you know like there's a, there's a lot of blank in there right right, I think right. If i redid it now it might have come out differently but it, it is cool it really is so how many releases were solicited by you as opposed to people sending something in and like almost a demo? Everything that came out was solicited by me. There were plans to release stuff that wasn't, I can't really think of anything, but uh, you know, like the classic releases were all me writing to people and saying, you know, I just put out X, Y, and Z and I'd like to do uh, an album by you. Yeah, I'm looking at Discogs right now. Everything I see here is stuff that I I made happen. Now, what about any of the any elusive artists who said they were going to do something and never sent anything, or just said no, or just never got a response from that you just really wanted to do and just never happened? Well, Obe said no. Like that's the first thing that came to mind. Um, right. I, which, you know, rightfully so, like I couldn't have done that justice. He was so like, on like his aesthetic was just so pinpoint accurate and right. perfected mm-hmm. with his own self-release stuff. There's no way that I could have even come close. I do like some of the other non-self-released OB tapes. They're pretty cool, you know, but um, he just didn't need me and that was fine. Um, you know, I have tons of unreleased stuff. Which um, right. I talked to, I don't know, there's like that compilation, Gray, that you mentioned. Oh, yes. <laughs> Easy listening for the hard of hearing. Yeah. Yes. How do you guys know about that? You Look, we are, this is, we're archaeologists. We, right. you know, this is, this is, this is our every day. Now, yeah. this is one multiple people wanted to know about. What happened to this comp? Do you? It does it exist in master form? And can it exist? Tell us all about yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, so Hagstrom from you know Cocky SPEF yep. tapes started pulling these tracks together in the early to mid '90s to put out like a double cassette. When he stopped EF tapes and Spite was like going strong, he gave it all to me to release. Oh wow! I then was going to retitle it, and I started collecting tracks from you know, like the late nineties artists say like, say this happened like 97, 98. Um, so I just, I have a box of his original tapes plus like the stuff that I got from you people. Collecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it's all here. I mean, it's, it's, it's in the room with me right now. Um, it's right behind me, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I need a studio. I mean, in a perfect world, all this stuff would somehow come out. Uh, I talked to hospital like a decade ago or maybe even 15 years ago about uh, 
rejected out of spite, like an LP box set with spite outtakes and unreleased nice. stuff, which would have mm-hmm. been cool. Um, now, right. did, did you did you ever reject any masters? Yeah, lots, plenty of them. Oh, so you so you were definitely you. It wasn't just you sent it to me. I'm going to put it out. You did have a vision. I did. I don't know where I got the balls. I mean, I, I definitely burned some bridges, but uh, I did reject a couple things, and I, I edited a couple things. Um, the Dylan Ayukas tape, I don't know if he even knows this, but it's actually a collab with both of us. <laughs> he sent it to me, and it was super minimal, and I was like, I'm just going to like overdub some some stuff onto here. Like, Let's get this going. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was thinking, honestly. That, isn't that <laughs> wow. like Hicks from Sudan? Isn't that, isn't Hicks that in the, the Sudan. Hicks in the mm-hmm. Sudan. Yeah. Well, hey, Dylan, you might be hearing this for the first time. <laughs> I'm Breaking sure, news. I'm sure he didn't care. Plus, the statute of limitations is long over. So. Statute yeah. of limitations is long over. And honestly, <laughs> like, sure. I couldn't imagine listening if it's a great I wouldn't story. necessarily listen to something like if someone sent me my copies or whatever, I probably haven't listened to my copies of a thing. Exactly. So, so, oh, yeah. so how often right, right. do you just throw it right. on? But You're like, something, oh, about, something about that. Now that's very Ron Lassard. I feel like doing hmm. a little, a little clandestine collab. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. That's something about <laughs> you that. You might be right. It might yeah, be a New yeah. England thing. It might be just like kind of that sort of chutzpah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it literally was just me thinking like this could be better. That was it. But uh, that tape got into the wire, which at the time, like the wire wasn't really touching underground. No. You know, the underground was just breaking and they were still like uh, into like uh, KK Null and stuff like that, which, you know, we all love KK Null, but it's like that's that was a few steps, a few mm. notches above what I was doing or even what I was interested in. Did you, when you were talked to an artist, did you ever kind of ask for a certain style? You know, say no. from the artist, or you, you'd let them do it, Just but send maybe, something. maybe you would have something to say once you got that master. Yeah, I mean, I. I really just lucked out. It was really more of the timing than anything else. You know, I didn't tell the K two guy like make this better. I want more bass synth. You know, I, there was nothing like that. Right, right. It was really just like, I loved something by him. He was at a, a point in his output where he was in that certain mode where he wasn't really doing the hyper fast editing anymore. He was like letting things breathe a little bit. And it turned out to just be an amazing album. I love that's it. That's a great, a great uh, Absolute classic. Yeah, I think that one's but great. that had nothing to do with me. I mean, if anything, I I produced the packaging and dubbed the tapes on that. But musically, that was not me. Were there people you rejected stuff by that then gave you better masters, or did they just decide to not work together? Tell me to. Um, there were, there definitely were. Um, I did get. To, I I've been trying to. I've been racking my brain trying to think of this guy's name. It was like a midwestern dude who had an LP that kind of came out of nowhere. And it's like, it's not burning star core, but it's a something similar. It's like that kind of like indie sounding name. Um, and I remember reading about the album in uh, Muckraker, getting it and liking it. And then asking to do a spite release and him giving me this thing that was songs. And I was like, 
I'm cutting out the songs and I'll put the rest of this out. And he was fucking furious. He, he, he said like, you know, you're so arrogant. You think you're like David Geffen or something. He, he called me David Geffen. Wow. <laughs> David Geffen noise. We have yeah. there we this go. episode. We didn't even realize, but we have the David. There Geffen you go. Noise. I'll take it. Thank you. Yeah, He's rich. Yeah, yeah. He's rich enough. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spite seemed to get really good material from a lot of these artists that now are like very heavily revered. When I, you look at the first 20 releases, the names you've got among them, I mean, you've got, MSBR, Richard Ramirez, Molest, Dead Body Love, Last M. Marhog, Facial Mess, Moats. Uh, I mean, like, it just, it keeps going. You got Capote Music, like, really, the Pain Jerk. There's a bunch of really, you know, talking about K2, big artists sort of now or that have stood the test of time. Yeah. Uh, how are you seeking this stuff out? Were you, were you, I mean, you've got stuff from, from the US, but you've also got stuff from Europe and Japan. Were you just sending letters out and, Getting in I, was just a huge, I was just a huge fan and a collector of all this stuff and, and loved it like number one fanboy. And, you know, this is really what was out there. This is what was going on. And um, never did I th- think of, or even care if it lasted longer than the next month or the next year, it, it wasn't any, there was no amount of looking down the road involved here. It was just like, grunt is awesome. This split LP with taint is amazing. I want to do a tape by him. You know, like I didn't know that it was, he was going to record like a power electronics magnum opus. Is that the word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Which I, I think it is Europe after storm. It, it, it was just kind of uh, the right, you know, a friend of mine told me that it was like the last, she, she felt that it was the last label that really mattered in her mind because it was the very tail end of this music before it really had any credibility or any kind of like amount of it breaking into like anything remotely successful that could be measured in a way that was successful. So I went into it blind. I didn't know anybody would ever care or listen to the stuff. And I just was kind of doing what I wanted to do. And I don't think that Spite had anything to do with noise music getting big or becoming popular i really don't i mean you might tell me yes but i don't know it it was just quality that was going on around me that i was like pulling in because i wanted to run a label and because i was a love noise music and i still do heck yeah well i there's a couple you know we talked about these legendary projects there's a couple projects that i would like to maybe try to get a little more info on who is tension hook Tension Hook is this uh, Canadian dude. Tension Hook is an interesting one, and that stuff deserves to be reissued. Really, really technically well done noise, I would say. Extremely harsh. You know, I imagine that it was a metals and pedals, right? But at the time, there were, it really stood out as well-crafted. But uh, yeah, it's a guy named Sam from Canada, the address is on the tapes. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I might have correspondence from him, but I don't like, I don't know him. I don't keep in touch with him or anything. Uh, did tension hook like kind of gain popularity? No, 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 no. no. I mean, I pretty much, there's just a hand. I mean, there's the spike tape and there's a couple other things, but that's it. And I just, I just think the name is 
one of the great names, and it's a it's a yeah. project that I was just completely unfamiliar it's with. It's mysterious. Besides, just yeah. what an awesome name it is. Mm-hmm. Right, what about right. Amal Migraine? Amal Migraine is this dude, Greg, that actually, this is odd. He moved from his parents' place in California to live with me in Kalamazoo. And um, just a dude that loved noise. And we were like pen pals and like telephone buddies. And then he moved in with me and I wanted nothing to do with him. <laughs> I'm like, not because of him. It, it was all about my lack of social skills and like <laughs> um, just my complete issues with any kind of intimacy or friendship. So like, Greg, if you hear this, it was nothing personal, man. I'm so sorry. Um, he was just like a cool dude with super overprotective parents that love weed, loved harsh noise. He was really into wrestling. He was just a, a great, great guy. And um, he was a, he was a friend of mine. Did, have you guys heard that one? No, I've never heard it. Sienko was telling us about it. Uh, yeah, it's minimal, it, but it's harsh. I, I, I haven't heard it in a long time, but Greg was like a legit noise guy. The, and uh, I mean, it, migraine. I mean, it's it's a reference to poppers. The whole thing is an homage to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I might have named it. I don't remember. But uh, it is. Uh, yeah, it's this guy, Greg. Greg Haas. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, want to know why did Spite end? And the way you're kind of describing it now sort of makes sense because, I mean, the last the last thing. I got from you was impish tyrant at the first no fun. And mm-hmm. that exactly. was kind of, it was, that was a, that, I mean, humectant played the humectant scent was crazy though. Cause you were using some weird goo. Oh, yeah. the goo. I've, it What's was like goo? A what hair was gel goo <laughs> in a clear plastic tub. I remember it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had just bought it at a bodega right before the gig. It was a giant tub of like black colored um, hair gel, which, you know, ties into the humectin thing. Humectin is a right. word that I saw in a shampoo bottle. Right. And, uh, <laughs> it, just, it just, it just appeared. I looked up the definition and it was like, Something about like self moistening or something, some kind well, of process. I, if, if is yeah. it in lube as well? Because yes. that's what I always thought yeah. it was a reference to. <laughs> I actually thought that it was that. I actually thought that's what it was a reference to. I, I never thought. made that connection, but perhaps it is like a moistening thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Gray. I'm, told I mean, us, I'm, I'm team spit all the way, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but great point so said to us too that the name is also a reference to Hanover Interruption. It, it is, it definitely is. That that was like one of the first noise records I ever bought. I got it at that In Your Ear Records. Uh, I still think it's like it's one of my personal favorites. I love it. I still own it, which is amazing. Um, it was it, it was ripped off of that. It was a blatant rip off of that. Like homage ripoff. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know yeah. until you told me that it came yeah. from that. So it's not a thing that's obvious, right? 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 At all. And that was, you know, that was fairly recent that you told me that it wasn't a thing that like I'd known whatever for twenty yeah. years. But yeah, 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 yeah. When you were talking about sort of ending things because of the the popularity growing and more more accessible and more people into it, the th- first thing I thought of is what Connolly mentioned is the Kevin Drum impish tyrant because mm-hmm. he was. He was like really on the rise then had been around for a while, but that was a, you know, 
he kind of hit a, a pretty high peak of popularity and you doing a tape by him seemed really crazy because it was a small edition, the handmade covers, all that stuff. And right. I could, I could see that have contributing to like, Oh, this is too much to deal with too much interest, too many people trying to get this thing and too much to keep track of. It had everything to do with my own insecurities and like not feeling like I could really own up to or live up to, I should say uh, the expectations of what was going on around me. Plus I can't emphasize enough how different it was at that point. You know, I started this stuff as a lonely kid in my bedroom, fucking around with the four track and having my mom drive me to a copy shop into the post office. And now I'm on a stage in New York city and like, there's like real, like, you know, Jurgen Teller, I don't know, some well, some photographer. There's like famous people around me and stuff. And uh, I just couldn't hang with it, man. I, I wasn't ready for any of that. And I really, like I say about the imposter syndrome thing, what I was doing didn't feel like enough. And I felt like the people around me were, there. I wasn't expressing enough for me. And, and I didn't really trust the the positive response I was getting from people, it had everything to do with my, my fractured psyche. You know, I just, I just couldn't, couldn't handle it basically, you know? Um, and, uh, I never really humectant was never something I was going to even think of doing live. You know, it was, it was like a novelty just to get a, get request uh, to play live, to be requested to play live. Um, the no fun set, was much better than it felt it was torturous it did feel like a major failure but it i have a recording of it and i like it a lot it's good uh there's a lot of grounding buzz you know which you (laughs) (laughs) remember you had like a some sort of circuit bent or open circuit device that you kind of poured that goop into Mm-hmm. And we're manipulating it with, so it was, it was, it was very it was strange. Fingertips on a circuit board and playing with a Mooger Fuger, which to this day I don't know what that is, but my <laughs> friend Dennis had one and it sounded cool, you know. Um, but it was mostly grounding buzz and like trying to create like a stereo field. I mean, I, I did create a stereo field. It was in stereo in the room, and. Um, yeah, it was it was hard. It was really hard to to pull off a, a set that felt like I was expressing anything. Certainly not joy, you know. If I was expressing anything, it was confusion. But um, I wish that I had sort of the self esteem to just own that, you know. It, it, I really walked away feeling dejected. But if I had today, if I had a similar set, I would have been satisfied with that. I was just wondering if you would enjoy playing live now or if you had played another set, um, you know, just for your own personal benefit. Mm. I think so. I I think so. You know, I I would have to um, have the right instrumentation and the setting like, you know, not to sound super prissy or like um, or, or like everything has to be perfect, you know. I'm not Akam Volscheid or anything, but uh, I would love to do like a raw noise set. Um, not like, not, I'm not thinking like an art gallery. That would be lovely, but uh, I would like it. You know, I think I, I think I would like that. In, a, in an ambient or like a, a droney or like a long form exploratory way. You know, these, these like raucous club shows were very much like, uh, 
there felt like there had to be a certain amount of energy that I just couldn't really pull out of my balls at this at this time. So this was your last show, the No Fun Fest you in, or was there anything after that? I'm sure it was my last show. Yeah, there were shows I mean, bef- one or two, maybe, okay. but I, you know, there are a handful of shows before that I know of, uh, which would yeah. be obviously the live at RRR tape. Right. And also you played with Reynolds in Detroit at the gold dollar, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was the first Humecton show. It was Reynolds. Oh wait, the first Humecton show was actually universal Indians, MSBR Humecton. That was a good one. I, I have Crazy. the flyer somewhere. Yeah. I did play with Reynolds live at RRR was, was me and Ron playing together to an empty room. And then my mom coming in and being like, it's time to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Ron had to have loved that. I think so. He was cool. He, he was like a spinning quarters on a table, you know, like while I was like making minimal contact mic sounds and, and just like mixing everything very quietly. What kind of stuff were you using for humectant interruption for making sounds? And, you know, what, what was your gear? What was your setup like back then? Okay, it it was definitely like a studio editing project on a Tascam two four two four two four, which is it two four two right one. <laughs> it was a black. Well, it was gray. It was gray. So uh, that contact mics. There were. I had a, a handful of cheap pedals. I uh, I was really into tape loops, but didn't have kind of the wherewithal to like. I remember buying one at Radio Shack. Like that's on the service and whelping thing is like this dreadful, like five second tape loop. It's way too long. There's like a gap in between like the loop. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just recording stuff and then um, processing it and like uh, editing it all into something. I hope I, I think was cohesive, even if it wasn't. I mean, it, it, it it's, it, that's the album, you know, Mocha lab was, um, Recording his source material through a piece of wood, which is like, sounds like pure crank sturgeon via a contact mic. And then I was like dropping these um, like polished stones onto it. And there was a, 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 a boss like grunge pedal on there, a DOD grunge pedal or something. Super primitive, pretty shitty, but uh you know, it was like a, a game that my niece had that I just thought had some like cool resonance, acoustic like qualities. But mm. uh, as a little boy, you know, I, I got a guitar. I never bothered to learn how to play it. I would just like scratch the strings and just hold it up to my ear and do that for hours. You know, I just liked exploring sounds. Now, there's some legendary shows in took place in your area, but I don't know time-wise if you were in attendance of those shows. For example, were you at the Merzbau Middle East show? I knew you were going to ask. I wasn't. That was like the next year. Like I was, uh, right. I was too young. I, the right. Middle East let me in. My first show was Unrest and Major Stars. I was right 13 and uh, I was like calling the guy from Unrest on the phone all the time mark robinson and they let me in there he said that i was his nephew 
So wow. uh, it's it's yeah. I didn't I didn't like call Masami Akita like, hey, what do you think? But yeah, that's the legendary show for sure. And uh, there's a that release is pretty pretty famous. Yeah. Skin Crime, Nightstick. Yeah, I, I wasn't at that. But I, I guess that's probably part of it too with eight with just yeah. literal age thing. Because I mean, we can't get we in. are we were all in the same kind of bracket, but. There was that limit at a point where you, you couldn't get in because you weren't. Totally. Especially so it, it, like a late night noise show in a bar. Yeah. yeah. It's right. one thing to go to an indie show like that's, you know, maybe starts at eight. But like this shit, they weren't going to let me into that, you know. And again, it was just like maybe right at the time that I was discovering this stuff. So I, I just didn't have any way to get there. You know, I, I grew up like about an hour outside of Boston. Right, right. So it's yeah. still been a event. Yeah, so your mom's not going to drive you to a bar at like 11 p.m. Yeah, 100% yeah. not going to happen. Well, I got I, a good I, story please. that I wanted to break on this podcast that has to do with my mom. So my mom is a nurse in a convent taking care of dying nuns. I mean, she was. She's retired now. Wow. But um, one day she gave, she mailed me this um envelope completely unexpectedly and what it was and she wrote a note that said like joel i finally understand your music now what it was was a a, a, a article about alvin lucier that he had sent to his aunt or something like that or his grandma i don't know but um my mother was taking care of this woman while she was dying alvin lucier's like Right. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh I was told I still have it. Like it, it was pretty exciting to me to get that. Um I realize Alvin Lucier is like a college professor and he's not that much of an unreachable person, but it just was super cool to think that like my mother is oh, but that's so great though that she thought of you. It is, it was super sweet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she it deepened her understanding of you. It was like the beginning yeah. of her understanding me. You know what I mean? I made every effort to make sure that I was not understandable by my mother. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a cute story. I wish we I could do a take two, but, you know, it's all good. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful story. I do too. Is the baby food thing too harsh? I mean, we it's fine, it. right? We, hey, you know what? Gray's a magician over it's there. We make true. everyone sound I mean, great. I want to. I want it, I want to be funny, and I don't mind being offensive. I just you're you being know. great. You are yeah. awesome. Yeah, you're this is great. Awesome. Yeah, this, this is, is really thing. good. This Thank is really you. really good. Delicate uh, touch. Um, I, I wanted to ask you if you ever attempted to set up shows, or if you did any noise tours. Hmm. We got you know uh, Patrick from Kalamazoo. Paranoid time. Something that. I know we talked about very early on and something that all four of us are quite into is movies. And I always mm -hmm. associate you with, with movies. Was, were, were movies, especially in the nineties, was that an, an influence just in an overall aesthetic, like getting, you know, I, you've, you sent me some tapes way back in the day, some pretty wild stuff. You introduced me to a couple a couple great, some of my all time favorites, but you know, just oh. the, just the getting those VHS, the Italian movies and the, you know, the early gore movies from the eighties. I mean, was that all part of your just overall vibe back in the nineties? 
I mean, for sure. You know, I, I've often said that I grew up in front of the television, MTV, you know, taping cult movies late at night. Um, when I was a really little boy, I saw like the Cheech and Chong movies and um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And it was really like it was hard to get John Waters movies at this time. You know, right. like, yes. you, know you couldn't just get female trauma. Yeah. I mean, no. you, you could get, <laughs> right. you know, the, the major ones, you know, Cry Baby or whatever. But some of those right. early ones weren't it wasn't like it is now. We always talk about that. And it was just so yeah. exciting when you finally got it, you know, like, yeah. This girl that I that I knew from the internet Xeroxed me like a half of one of his books, like Shock Value, just sent me like copies of the pages of his books because that stuff wow. was just impossible. It was like the Bible for me back then. Yeah. But yeah, basically, you know, I grew up in front of the TV and I was just like seeking out the weirdest stuff I could find. And um hitting video stores and renting piles of movies and just dubbing them all the time. And you know, I liked like movies. I was into movies, watching tons of movies. The more um, shitty and obscure, the better, really. Hey, I mean, absolutely. I, I really yeah. loved horror and giallos and stuff, but I was also interested in, in just like random crap. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. USA was like my total favorite thing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Up all night. That's anything. Fun. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we I love, love random crap. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's an aesthetic. <laughs> Do, right now, are you at all? Are you are you still still into into those movies? Picking up any of these the remastered discs and stuff, or are you still kind of so, st- sticking with the old school? I got. I came into a huge collection of Greek and Japanese VHS tapes that I sell. Um, you know, all these like. Like, you know, like a video search Miami and those, those old school gray area labels would be dubs of these tapes. Right. Right. I I sell these tapes, you know, Um, most of these movies I've, I'm more or less familiar with, or I've seen about half of them have been reissued on Blu-ray and whatnot. Um, I don't collect anything anymore. You know, Um, I just, I'm at a point now where I'd rather live in an empty room. Like I said, like, you know, I want to be creative again and just have that space. Um, I think that I went so far with my hoarding and collecting of stuff that I just kind of one day just flipped a switch and I just, I don't do it anymore. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't have a job. I just sell, sell stuff now. I mean, it is a job, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, paying for school and rent in New York. So things are, I'm doing pretty good, but, um, yeah, I don't have time to watch movies, man. I mean, I might socially, but like on my own, I watch like half an hour of YouTube and fall asleep. Right. Now, do you still have a copy of every spy tape? I have the masters, but not an actual physical <laughs> copy. No. Wow. Any? Wow. <laughs> I have some, I have some. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't have that sentimentality and you have to understand like i was poor up until like a year ago you know what i mean like i grew up with no money so yeah i sold what wasn't nailed down i mean i still have a handful of things that are you know way overpriced to my discog store for for a reason because I don't care if they sell or not. Like I, I would sell them for X amount of dollars, but I don't necessarily want to just sell them because I'm hungry. I'm not hungry. You know what I mean? I'm getting used to not being hungry. 
Yeah, I sold what I had to or what I could sell for an exorbitant amount of money. And honestly, it tickles me. And I, as someone who's collects stuff, spends a lot of money on rare things, I like charging a lot. I, I know this is going to make me enemies, but I, I, these are rare pieces of material. It's art. It's a, it's, it's maybe not one of a kind, but it's 50 of a kind. And I don't see the point in just getting $10 for it. You know, I, I, I it's uh, especially 20 years later. I'm sorry if that strikes you as me being an asshole, but that's how I feel. So I respect physical media to that point. You know, I have spent a lot of money on a record before. We all have everyone oh, yeah. in this room right now. We, yes. Of course we have. So it's, it's more just about, you know, if this thing is so rare that I get to name the value, this is what I think it's worth. It's what it's worth to me for just some random person to, to order it from a site off of me. Nine times out of 10, when somebody who I either know or maybe know of writes to me and is like, I'll give you 80% of this asking of your asking price, they'll walk away with it. Like, I'm not really like super, super, super stuck on these prices. I just, you know, I have thousands of records to sell. So why would I sell these objects that are precious for less than um, top dollar? You know, because I'm a capitalist. I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but I'm actually not sorry. You know, I'm 40 years old. This is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and the nature of this music is, or part of its value is how obscure it is and how it, it's not easy to get. In 1996, it wasn't easy to get. You know, you could have got it for $5 then, but in 2021, it's, it's a bit more. Um, also, you know, the market for the people that really want to own these possessions, I think that they do view it as art. You know, this music is art. It's abstract art, right? Like, we can all agree on that. Of course. They're, they're in the last maybe 20 years, it was kind of lumped into like a, a punk thing, like a shock value punk thing that it, I don't know that it ever initially was meant to be. I totally, Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I don't think it, that I think that aesthetic is not, I agree that it's not what it was meant to be. Yeah. But I just don't see why I have to apply those values to deciding what the, the worth of something is. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's not, I mean, again, I just, it's art. It's, it's abstract art. It's different than, um, and also actually hardcore records and punk records are worth the fucking fortune anyway. So that's not the best analogy, but you know, that people that think it should be cheap are holding on to this like punk ethos thing that I just don't give a fuck about. And and that's how much more punk can you get? What do you recall just kind of summing up just the feeling of the mid nineties spites going you're in con you're getting letters from Koji. You're getting, you're getting a master from crack fears. You're getting, you're talking to Pat. I mean, what just something, just, what did it, what do you recall the feeling? Man, it was really just like the joy of getting this cool mail and like uh, loving, loving the stuff. Like really, Again, it was more about like the quality of what was going on at the time. Things felt very pure and honest and like the noise bubble existed, right? Like there was an aesthetic of noise. It had been developed at this point. I think by and large, like Mersbo was a big part of that, you know, but um, it hadn't quite 
been like generation four yet. We were right. maybe in generation two. So like things felt familiar, but they also felt new. And there was a lot of creativity involved, which I don't want to take away from what's going on today. There's plenty of great noise acts out there. Uh, Altar of Flies, you know, any fans? I just put out a CD by him. Mm-hmm. Hey, there we go. Um, <laughs> I, just, I had to sound like I know a little bit about <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, it. was just like a time that was, you know, ripe with creativity. And yeah, honestly, I mean, I'll take all the accolades that I can get. I, it thrills me that people like this stuff and that it's considered an important part of this history. But um it was just a, a creatively rich time. I mean, all I, I did was execute this label as efficiently as I could with the, the minimal resources that I had, you know, and yeah, my, my, my ear and my taste were a factor in that, but they weren't any more than maybe 50% or, or maybe less. I love that. So I think yeah, it was amazing. great to open these cool packages and, you know, I, I had a lot of fun. Well, thank you for all the creating you did, Joel. I mean, Spike yes. has served as an inspiration to me for 20 years, and I really appreciate getting to talk to you about all this stuff. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noiseextra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at Noise Extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at Noise Extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.